New Jersey is providing truly historic tax relief. Living in New Jersey is about to become more affordable under the new Anchor Property Tax Relief Program created by Governor Murphy and the legislature. The state will soon deliver over 2 billion in tax relief to more than 2 million homeowners and renters. Eligible New Jerseyans can receive up to 1500 apply today even if you didn't qualify under the previous program you may now the deadline is february 28th visit anchor.nj.gov Hey Migrantly family, it's Sadia back in the studio with an exciting guest and conversation show to delight. Actually, this studio experience is unlike others because there is filming going on along with recording the interview. I'll explain in just a few. First, I want to welcome new listeners and share my appreciation for those returning to this space. This podcast is about democratizing the immigrant experience, making it known and seen that immigrant individuals are just that, individual, unique and simply human, while also being critical of the social forces that make it out to be anything else. So I was talking about how I'm in the studio and this interview is not simply being recorded by audio. In fact, we have East Side Stories filming the interview as well. A little bit about East Side Stories, it is a creative non-profit dedicating to uplifting the Asian American and Pacific Islander experiences through film, media and education. I'm thrilled by this partnership and honored that Immigrantly will be featured in East Side Stories next short film. It warms my heart to see other folks doing this critical work, basically cultivating a voice for immigrants in the storytelling space. So be sure to check them out at eastsidestories.org and don't worry, we'll share the film on our social media once it's completed. Now you may wonder who the special guest is and their connection to East Side Stories. Well, today I will be chatting with Mari Uchida. She is a photographer, director, a fiercely creative artist whose work has been seen in the New York Times, Time Out New York, the Lincoln Center of Performing Arts, Broadway World and other platforms. Her subjects are photographed against varied backdrops. from city streets to the performing stage she uses photography to highlight people left out of the frame we spoke about the art of photography why she chose it and why her craft has led her to projects including the broadway asian men calendar yes you heard it right called unapologetically asian so let's get started Hi Mari, I am so excited to have you on Immigrantly in this space. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We'll start from the very beginning. Let's go back to your childhood. 
You were six when you moved from Japan and you came to the U.S. at a very young age. What do you recall about this transition? Do you have any early memories of it? You know, I actually do. I didn't completely understand at the time. I didn't think I fully processed that I would be kind of like uprooting my life. I mean, you know, you're six. You're six, so, right? <laughs> but I did have the sense of like, oh, I don't know the next time I'm going to see my friends again. Like, that's mm-hmm. very strange, you know. And I think my sister honestly had a harder time with it. She's three years older than I am. So she had like a particular like rhythm to life of going to school and seeing friends at a certain time. And education, like learning one language versus another is just like a whole nother like process that it's a little bit harder as you get older. Hmm. So I do remember kind of not really getting why we were moving, but at the same time, very excited about the new opportunities or just seeing life very different from mine. Maria, I assume your parents moved here and that's how you came to the U.S., right? Yes, it was for my dad's work. So you moved to Chicago? Yes, Chicago suburbs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of Chicago people would be very upset if I said I'm from Chicago. I know. I do that. Like, I live in New York suburbs, but I like to think I live in the city. Yeah. My soul is in the city and then my physical self is in the suburbs which is ironic, but that's how I want to present it. Mm -hmm. What was it like growing up in the Chicago suburbs, especially adjusting during those first few years? For me, since I was so young, I was able to kind of taking things as they come and adapting a little bit better than perhaps like my parents or my sister. I do remember not being able to speak English and just repeating what other people said because I and not even understanding what I'm saying for myself. And it was really interesting because I started kindergarten probably about like a month after I moved to the States. I mean, it was overwhelming. Um, Definitely. I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. There were some things that I would just try for the sake of it that other people would look at me like, why did you do that? And it was just simply because I couldn't understand what was happening or going on. I think like people were a little hesitant to communicate with me because I looked different and I sounded different and I couldn't speak their language. But there were definitely a few people who um, really opened themselves up to me and like accepted me for who I was, invited me to things and kind of helped me form friendships in a way that I had never formed before in Japan, where communication was just so much more simple because I knew the language. But it involved a lot of body language communication. Right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. And involved a lot of like props and like objects that I could like hold up or, you know, physicalize. And I remember like doing a reading assignment and having a really, really tough time with it. But my teacher was so proud of me that I got through the entire thing without giving up. I mean, it's a bittersweet memory almost, right? Part of me is like, wow, it's like I've assimilated almost. But it's also like, wow, like I'm learning a different language. I got through it. Maybe I'm not processing everything that's happening in front of me. But the fact that I was able to try something new and get over that hump, I think was really a proud moment for my teacher, who was a first year kindergarten teacher at the time. And I think I threw her a little bit of a curveball because I don't think she expected like a person who didn't speak English in her Mm. class. But I do remember feeling very safe around my teacher, which was a very, um, I know it's a very lucky experience to have as like a person who just moved here. 
as I'm listening to you, it seems like you had a lot of support and there were people who were basically rooting for you. But Mari, you said something very profound. You said these moments were more bittersweet as you were assimilating. And when I think of assimilation, I think of learning something new, but at the same time, losing part of us that we bring from other countries. And you were too young. You were only six. But when I think about myself, I came here in the 20s. And as I tried to integrate into American society, I started to give away part of my Pakistani identity. Have you ever felt that, that initially you had to give part of your Japanese identity to make space for American? I think it goes a little bit further on into my like life growing up in the Chicago suburbs. So I grew up in a very, probably 90% white. Hmm. And uh, there were very few people of color in my town and in my school. So I think deconstructing Asian America for me didn't really come until much later in my life. And to um, just kind of give you an overview. So I went to middle school, mostly in a white community. I went to high school in a mostly white community. When I was in middle school, I was so anxious to get back to Japan ah. because I think I felt like a certain disconnect with my peers, my school. And, you know, like you're also questioning a lot of things at that age because you're like going through puberty and you're questioning like, who are my friends? What are my values? Like, who do I want to become when I'm older kind of thing? And I thought for a long time that I wanted to go back to Japan. We even toured like Japanese high schools uh, when I went back because mm. I just felt this disconnect from American culture. And then I started theater. Theater was a big part of my life. When I found people who wanted to tell like stories, like complex stories of whether it's theirs or other people's words or whatnot, I found a lot of people listening to my story and being able to say, yeah, that's valid. I think that was the first time where I was like, oh, maybe I do belong. And I think the bittersweet part for me, musical theater, which was the part of theater that I'm from, is a very um, American form of art. Historically, it's very rooted in Black culture. It's a very predominantly white industry, even as of now. I think Upon looking at theater and just getting a lot of intake of the stories that were being told in a theatrical format, it was very American. It was very white. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's white. It's, I'm not going to say that <laughs> all of it's white. Also, I wanted to note that I'm not trying to say white as like a derogatory term or anything. It's like literally just like I was in a room full yeah, of white absolutely. people. I think I gave up a little bit of my passion for Asia and my wanting to go back to Japan because I was in a very f American, predominantly white industry form of art. And you were trying to fit in. And I was trying to fit in. And so I think I really felt that when I was like around like eighth grade, when I was trying to just fit in with people and like hang out with people and I would just feel uncomfortable a lot of times and I couldn't quite pinpoint why. Then in theater, like I think it was the first form of like genuine community that I feel like I was like actually a part of, which also made me realize like, oh, I'm in a room full of like a lot of people who were born in the States and grew up in the States. And I have to kind of hide that part of myself that didn't do that. So Mari, how did you reconnect with that part of yourself? And when did you reconnect? So I went to college and I studied theater performance and musical theater performance and Asian humanities. 
The first inkling of me wanting to connect back with my Asian culture was when I started taking a lot of classes about Asian cultures, whether that's translating from Japanese to English or learning about. Actually, I took a Pakistani culture class. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I and, love it. Yeah, no, it was, and it opened me up to a lot of monolithic thinking that I had about Asia, and like kind of opened it up to kind of include a little bit more diverse range of like Asian experiences and of meeting other people who were perhaps Asian but did not look like me. Hmm. I did like a big showcase performance in New York at the end of my time in college, and I got a chance to sign with the agency that gave me the impetus to move to New York. During that summer, I was auditioning for a lot of shows, and I got cast in the show. It's a very fortunate, lucky experience to be cast right outside of college. It happened to be a show about a Chinese folktale, and we can go into like, okay, I'm a Japanese person, like whatever. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, and I think that was a little bit before the a lot of the, like complex conversations that we have now are happening about Asian America and stuff. But you know, I was just happy to be cast. And I met a lot of other Asian people who do theater, which was not a group I very much interacted with in college because there were probably about like ten or so people of Asian descent out of like four hundred. So that community、um, really embraced me. One of the leads in the show, who I was like her sidekick person, was is a great friend of mine named Jessica Wu, and she is very interconnected in the Broadway community. And she introduced me to so many people.、Um, she knew that I did photography at the、mm. time, so she invited me to photograph for some of her friends' concerts, and that's how I met a lot of other people in the Asian community who have maybe been first gen, maybe second gen, and like had similar experiences as I did. And it made me feel so much more comfortable to express myself. Let's pivot a little and talk about your photography.、Mm-hmm. I wonder if you remember the first click or the first photograph that you took. What was that experience like? I was involved in theater. They would need pictures of their shows or pictures of their cast members or whatnot, and I would be involved in that way. That's how I first clicked the camera. It was、um, backstage in a show that I was in, and I took a few pictures of people getting ready.、Huh. And this is what I still hold true to this day with my photography is that I love making the ordinary moments shine.、Hmm. I think there is a lot of moments that we take for granted in life, and to crystallize those moments and to frame it in a way that tells the story of like what's happening, and to almost make it look like a context of a movie, like a movie still, right, was really exhilarating to me. So let's talk about this a bit more. I looked through your website and I was really intrigued by the statement under your name, and I quote: "You are valid. Your photos should reflect that." End quote. What do you mean by valid? I really believe that people, their emotions, their experiences, everything that leads people to be who they are, should not be taken for granted, and that I. Think validation of people's experiences and feelings are very important because I pushed that part of myself down for a long time. When I was wanting to go back to Japan and not wanting to be in America, I felt like, why should I be even taking up that space? Almost like, why do I feel these feelings when, in on paper, I have a great life? 
Right. Um, and when I first began to go to therapy, um, that was the first time that people were like, your emotions and your pain and what you are going through, it's much more multidimensional than like what people, I think, like on surface or on paper, like believe it to be. And that it was the first time that people took my words and my emotions and said, that's really valid. Like you are yeah. the person that you are because you had these experiences. And to invalidate that would be almost to like invalidate, you know, my past, my experiences, my emotions. And I have felt a lot of shame, especially about around like negative or um, like hurt, hurt emotions in the past. Why? Um, because I think as a first generation immigrant, you're told that like your parents wanted to create a better life for you than they had for them. And I think I really took that in and was like, you know, on paper, I have a great life. Like, why should I be feeling these things? I have great friends. I have a great family. I'm educated. I'm going to school. Like, I'm pursuing my hobbies. Like, why should I be feeling such negative feelings? And when people said, like, no, it's a little bit more multidimensional than what is on paper. It is. And sometimes having a great life and feeling sense of alienation, loneliness, sadness, they are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. They can all happen at the same time. Yes. In certain moments, how we're feeling, how we are articulating our thoughts is very personal to how we see our lives versus how others see us. Yes. And also, in kind of bringing the quote back into photography, I do feel sometimes that photography, especially in this age of social media, can be a very curated experience. Hmm. Um, like you, you kind of curate like what goes on and what people see. And, you know, you can even edit out people and make it all seem like it's like your place that you are owning almost. And I didn't want that to be my photography. It's also like, important to state that like I take a lot of like portraits and stuff. I take a lot of theatrical photos and um and especially when I'm shooting portraits, I think I'm very aware about making the other person like my subjects very comfortable in their bodies because taking photos is sometimes can be a very uncomfortable experience. It is almost like an infringement on somebody's personal space, right? I, for one, am scared of being photographed. Mm -hmm. I don't like to see myself in a photograph, which is bizarre. But you're right. It's almost, you know, somebody's giving you that responsibility to see their true self through your lens. Yes. And when I take headshots and portraits, I really try to have conversations with them, open them up and make them feel comfortable in a way that they do feel comfortable expressing their full self in front of me. I think that's so much more important and beautiful than a curated image of or a facade of oneself that is perhaps for other people rather than for them. Mari, this is a great segue into my next question, because I was going to ask you when photographing someone on set, how do you draw their truest self and how do you draw their authentic selves? And you've already mentioned one thing that you do, which is have a conversation with them. Is there anything else you tell them to think about or imagine? Do you ask them to go to a certain place to have certain thoughts? When you're taking their pictures, I try to ground everything in what they feel and what they are experiencing in the moment. 
Because I think when you're an actor, it's like very easy to be like, play this character, play this character. And I really don't want that. I really want them to think about just like how they feel in the moment. And I meet them where they're at. I also like to use a little bit of acting exercises to kind of just like dig a little deeper into emotions. um, Because I think acting is a very emotionally vulnerable experience. And because it requires you to empathize and connect in a way that I think um, is a little bit deeper than perhaps we go in our like everyday life. So one of the first things I like to say is like, breathe in, breathe out, just meditate and feel your body in this moment and just meet yourself where you're at. I love that. If you're scared, it's okay. It's my job to make the photo look good. So do not worry about like what you are presenting. I wish all photographers were like you. And with acting exercises, something I try not to do is be like this or be like this. I try to say like, have a secret. And have fun not telling me what the secret is. It's a little bit of something to think about. To think about. But not exactly try to portray a different version of yourself. And I think that for me is like a key to connecting with people and then just having conversations, having good music playing, um, all kind of contributes to like the environment that I try to make for my clients. Whether it's a studio or in my living room, because I do shoot a lot of portraits in my living Mm. room and I try to make my living room like a very homey space. And whenever I shoot in a studio, like I try to foster an environment that is very welcoming. I love that. And I want to talk about something that you recently did. So you're the creator and photographer of the Broadway Asian Men calendar Mm -hmm. called Unapologetically Asian. It's very similar to the lexicon we use at Immigrantly, unapologetically Asian. I love it. Yes. So um, BAM was a project that I, I, Broadway Asian men, BAM. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I like that. That's catchy. Yeah. um, Broadway Asian men was something I founded with my friend Diane Phelan, who founded Unapologetically Asian. And... We wanted to, and I think a lot of conversations around Asianness, anti-Asian um, mindsets, um, mm-hmm. and how we are reacting to it, and just like how you know, just the embracing of Asian America. I think a lot of conversations were happening around the time because it was within the first few months of the pandemic. I think like one of my friends in unapologetically Asian was like, we should have a hot Asian man calendar. (laughs) Like that should be like that would be like a really cool thing to like uplift, you know, just members of our community. And I took it very seriously. I was like, this should happen. So it's been happening for three years now. And my friends at um, East Side Stories and Collaborations also helped along and helped me produce this calendar. So Mari, let's talk a little bit more about the creative process and the thought process behind this. It seems like you were trying to do this paradigm shift of how you want people to see Asian men on Broadway, right? So Mm -hmm. you want them to be the main characters Mm -hmm. in different stories and Mm -hmm. beyond, which doesn't happen often. So I love the concept. But tell me, what does it really mean to be a main character or a hero in a story? I think it's about just embracing and owning who you are. I have often experienced as an Asian person to be quiet. And whether that's culturally or whether that's my personal experience, sometimes I was told my emotions or my thoughts or ideas were not as important because of the way I presented myself or the way I looked. And for 
the listeners of this uh, podcast, I'm a very small <laughs> person. And I think that also kind of played into like my insecurities about presenting myself as a valid person. And often in Broadway, you don't see a lot of Asian men playing leading roles and taking that ownership of their own story. And I think as Asian people, like living in America, there's so many dimensions to Asian America. And I think sometimes um, we get caught up in like the monolithic thinking of what Asian America can be. And to take every experience and say, you are valid, your experiences and your feelings and you that you've grown up to be and who you are right now is beautiful. How do you project that through photography? It kind of goes back to just like making them feel really comfortable right. in their um in their skin. I always say when I do photograph, we're going to just have a really fun time and we'll take some fun photos along the way. <laughs> and I think that's the environment I try to cultivate and when you feel good about yourself, I think it really does reflect in photos. Even if like my photographs are a little bit messy or like not maybe the industry standard for what photography should be. If people can look at it and see genuine emotion and if the guys who I photograph can look at it and be like that was a really fun time where huh. I felt true in my body, I think I've done the job. I want to talk a little bit about how BIPOC voices are being covered, showcased, portrayed in different industries. It's very important to what we are doing here at Immigrantly. Mm-hmm. And then East Side Stories is doing this. Mm-hmm. You do that with your photography. But at least for us at Immigrantly, I am always mindful that sometimes with representation, there is this idea of virtue signaling representation sometimes can mean tokenizing an identity and i wonder how does photography best represent people without tokenizing or diluting the human in front of that lens so one thing i am very aware of is like i had a few guys interviewed for east side stories and one person did really talk about feeling like the token asian hmm. and To me, BAM is the community that forms around these photos and the people who look at these photos and feel like they are being represented in front of the camera. Everybody in the photographs are a multidimensional human being. I think like photography can be like a very much like a starting point to a conversation, a deep to deeper conversations. In my photography, I try to capture the most genuine moments as possible, whatever that means to the guys. If people can look at that and have conversations about representation, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to pretend like BAM was like the p- most perfect project ever. I, that's perfection is not what I strive for. Right. But I think um, if people can have like this feeling of, wow, that's the first time or like one of the very few times that I've seen somebody like this and represented in this way and then have deeper conversations about, okay, well, like how do we move more towards this authenticity and genuine emotion rather than like a curated or like a monolithic thinking of like what Asian America can be. And even Asian American identity is not a monolith. It is so diverse. Yeah. And it's so complex and beautiful. And it represents so much more than just one ethnicity, one identity, one nationality. And I come from Japan, right, which is like, I mean, <laughs> 
we were colonizers at one point, right? I try to be at least very aware that like my identity as an Asian American and the country I come from is a very specific experience. Mm. And with Asian America, like colorism is also still very prevalent. You know, I'm a light-skinned Asian woman and I don't think I have the answers for everything per se. Um, I have my own answers of, you know, what my experiences are, but that is so different from like brown Asians, black Asians, white Asians, and like the whole realm of like skin, mm. skin tones and also experiences and countries and cultures that may entail. My, it's so heartwarming to see that there is so much self-awareness about privilege, which a lot of people don't have. And as you said, as Asian Americans, as part of any identity, it's so important that all of us do that introspection. So it's huge. Just, you know, you saying that is probably making a lot of people think about their privilege. I want to talk about New York. How can we not talk about the best city on the planet alongside Lahore? <laughs> so tell me, I feel like New York is this great place for photographers. The way I see this, so much that New York offers, there's so much intrigue and inspiration. As a photographer, what is one thing that you really like about New York? When I think of photography in New York, I think just about like the diversity and the huge amount of experiences that make up the city. I think it's also very easy sometimes to get into a very monolithic thinking about just what New York is, especially if you and I'm also trying to be aware of that for myself as I'm not from this city. I've lived here for a probably about like five or so years at this point. So um, my experiences are going to be very different than people who like were born and raised here, right? You know, one photographer I definitely think about is Humans of New York. Yeah. And I think he really breaks down a lot of human barriers that we kind of feel that we can't touch because we are not XYZ or like of a certain identity. There's so many dimensions to being human as well that like when I say that I'm Asian, like maybe people think of one thing. Right. But there's so much more deeper emotion than that. And I think with New York, what I truly love about it is just, I would say, the diverse range of experiences, of people, of things that happen here. And whether that is, you know, Broadway or whether that is just getting halal from the streetcar. Right. Um, It's a melt. Like, I know people are like, yeah, New York is a melting pot. I don't like that term anymore. Yeah, I Do know. You? It does kind of build like a very bittersweet moment. Yeah, because then we are again talking about how everybody should assimilate into this society and give up on their individuality and uniqueness. And to me, it's like, let's call it something else. Yeah. And I think like not even a melting pot, right? Like, I do think of it kind of almost as like puzzle pieces, kind of creating like, like a bigger picture. You know, we all fit differently into this grand scheme of what is New York, but then we all kind of create this big community together. I love that. I love the juxtaposition of different pieces. That's what New York is. So let's stop using the term melting pot. No, for sure. It's like you get this idea of like congealing people together. And it's right. like, that's not like a, that's not what it is. Right. Yeah, it's and like, not. and especially like, 
the expectation that a lot of Americans have that people like just know English. Why? Um, yeah, it's very strange, but I find it really <laughs> encouraging that a lot of people in New York, like they can like kind of just like live, yes. you know, just speaking their own language and um, you'll find other people who do, you know. And um, I feel that when I meet like other Japanese people sometimes, I feel that when I'm our first year here, I lived in Washington Heights and I've met a lot of like Latinx and Dominican folk who like honestly don't speak English. And like, that's totally fine. Live your life. It's so badass. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Mari, what is your advice to someone who wants to try and pick up photography? I would say um, don't focus on what you should be doing or the expectations. Take moments as they come. As much as meeting other people where they're at, also meet yourself where you're at. Oh, I love that. And work with what you got. That's beautiful in its own way. I don't know every single camera part that goes into a camera, to be quite honest. I'm not like super technologically advanced in my photography. However, I do think that I still get the photos that I really want because of how I view the world and let my worldview kind of just like guide where the photos are being framed or whatnot. It's more about storytelling than it is about like curating a picture. It's about just meeting people and things where they are rather than like expecting something of people. And I try to let go of like most expectations just in life in general. <laughs> so in the end, if you were to define or describe America in a word, a sentence, a phrase, how would you do that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> If we're going to be like pretty literal about it. Let's do it. America is a country. And I think like people sometimes have an idea also of what America can be or is. I try to view it as like, you know, it's a country where people get together. There's a lot of immigrants there. There's a wealth of experiences, just like any other country. And I try not to hold it on a pedestal. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a country. I love it. Where can people find your work? Is there a website they can go if they want to reach out to you? Yes. So I do have a contact form on my website. My website is mariuchidaphotography.com. And if you want to specifically look at Broadway Asian men, you can go to broadwayasianmen.com. I do still have calendars and shirts selling on there. I'm not very active on Instagram, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I find it very um, overwhelming sometimes to keep up the feed and whatnot. But yeah, I think my website is a pretty like good starting point to kind of introducing myself as an artist. Thank you, Mari. This was wonderful. Thank you so much, Sadia, for having me. Wow, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you, everyone, for sharing this space with me, for giving me your time. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Do check out Mari's work and East Side Story's website. If you are not following us on socials, our Instagram handle is at ImmigrantlyPod. Our Twitter is at Immigrantly underscore pod. And you can always check out our website, ImmigrantlyPod.com. And one more thing, 
If you haven't subscribed to Patreon, do consider subscribing. You just have to give up one Starbucks coffee. $5 a month. Can you do that for us? This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Yudi Liu. Our editor is Hazik Ahmed Farid, and the editorial review for this was done by Shay Yu. Until next time, take care.